Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. As you are making your way back to your seats, as you are getting situated, I'm going to ask Val to come up here. Jim, Jim, can you come up here for a minute? And uh, as you guys know, as you're getting situated, as you guys know, uh, we've been praying for... um, uh, Jim and Claudia, and Claudia uh, was in a hospital and then uh, went to a recovery place. And I'm going to ask Jim to give an update because I would probably not do as effective as bringing us up to date on, on what's going on with her. Down for a second, go up there, and maybe she'll stop and say hello for that long because she's, she's getting a, a orders and stuff in now because we sold so many million bells, baskets, and all that stuff. But, um, I'm really grateful and thankful for all your prayers. Um, I'm thankful for doctors and nurses, to her mom, to my mom, to my man Tony, to, to the employees that helped us get through all this because we, Tony and I talked about it early when she first went in the hospital. It's like, Green Acres has got to go. You know, it's gotta, it cannot close up. That would have killed her faster than pancreatitis would have. Um, <laughs> So we're rolling, we're up there, and if you need some flowers, if you need a hanging basket for Mother's Day, come on up. And again, thanks so much for your prayers. I really, really appreciate it. Chuck, okay. We've been praying for uh, Valerie's brother, and Shirley is still down uh, with him and his family. Uh, So we're going to ask her to give an update on Barry. Barry's still hanging in there. Um, Things are not going well. He's in bed a lot. <laughs> um, my mom really needs prayer. And those of you that know my mom, she's a rock. But she also doesn't control her tongue. <laughs> and so I just don't want to see her and my sister-in-law end up in um, having issues. But Barry has resorted back to a childhood. So he seems to listen to my mom more so than he does um, my brother. I, I mean his wife. And uh, three of my brothers went down this weekend, and they said if they didn't have a man that stayed there because Barry has fallen, that they would have to put him in a hospice home. So my one brother who lives here was in a position that he could stay. So he did remain in South Carolina to help. Um, Just continue to pray, continue to pray for strength for the family. It's, you know, my sister-in-law has never gone through anything like this. We continue to have faith. I talk to my mom every night. Um, But prayers are greatly, greatly appreciated. And it's nice to know that we have family and friends that love us and care for us. And uh, so that's what we need. We just need prayers. And on another note, we just found out that my cousin, who is 56 years old also from here, needs a heart transplant. So we're getting hit. Our family's getting hit with a lot of things, and but it's causing our family to pray and to have a little bit of faith in God, and that's a positive thing. Amen. Uh, stay right here. Scoot over here a little bit. I'm going to ask 
put Anne on the spot. Can you come up? Because we're going to pray. Actually, all you women, if you so feel led, can you come up? And we're going to uh, pray for... And I'm going to hand this to you so you can... <laughs> so you can pray. Just, just gather around. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just adore you and we praise you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, and for your love. We lift Shirley, and we lift Barry, and we lift the whole family up to you, Lord. Father God, we just ask for a miracle. We ask in your blessed name, Lord, knowing that whatever we ask, we shall receive. And we just praise you, Father, and we ask that you just increase our faith, Lord, in that everything that happens, Father, that it be your glory, your glory, Lord, and just give the family strength, build them up, Lord. Father, we just pray for a miracle, and we're all in agreement, Lord. When two or more gather, Father, there you are in the midst. Oh, praise you, Jesus. You said, ask, and we shall receive, and you do get the glory, Father. In Jesus' name, we praise you and we thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. So I uh, apologize if that felt a little weird to anyone, but that's, that's what we do. That's what the church is here for, to lift one another up, to uphold one another, to come together, and to pray for one another. But I'm going to kind of shift gears uh, into uh, what we're talking about today because we're closing out. Uh, this series that we've been doing, talking about the aftermath or the impact uh, that Jesus Christ had on people, people that met the resurrected Jesus Christ and the aftermath, the impact that it had on their lives. And we've been uh, talking about it from the aspect of um, them then going out and sharing what they experienced with other people. Now, uh, this is, I think, Part four, fourth week, we're closing it out. So we've been talking about this for three weeks. So uh, we're going to have a little pop quiz. Just what you would expect when you come to church. So um, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get out a piece of paper, a pen, and a calculator. No, just, you don't need all that. But here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, we've been talking about evangelism, and I've been telling you that there's these three easy things, really simple things that you can do to talk about Jesus to other people. Uh, and uh, one guideline is, is you've heard the term evangelism, and I said don't call it evangelism. That's the overarching thing that you accomplish when you talk about Jesus to other people, but don't call it that when you're, don't make them your project that you're trying to do or trying to achieve. Uh, instead, just share what God is doing with your life. The other thing I said is, um, is to not uh, just, well, let me put it this way, be prayerful and mindful when doing it, on whether or not you're going to just do it out of the blue or whether or not you're going to wait until the opportunity arises out of the blue, like you just run in and say, you'll never guess. For example, you know, Monday morning when you get to work and you're like, you'll never guess uh, what we talked about at church and blah, blah, blah. That's just kind of like out of the blue. Uh, Another way of doing it is when the opportunity arises as people are talking about, well, what did you guys do for Mother's Day? Oh, well, you know what? We talked about this and our church gave plants or whatever. Some way um, where either out of the blue or waiting for the opportunity, but in both of those areas, let God kind of guide you 
let God be the one who kind of directs you in those areas on uh, which is the best thing to do. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a line, and it's gonna, there's going to be a blank, and you're going to fill in the blank based on what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, those of you who were not here the last couple of weeks, you automatically fail. I cannot help you. There's nothing we can do about that. You can just don't yeah, just be quiet. No one's going to know. But for the rest of you, you're just going to fill in the blank, okay? So we said, first thing to do when you're going to share with others about Jesus Christ is, and I'm going to say it, you fill in the blank, only share what you Wow, that was awesome. I actually did not think that you guys would remember that. Um, that's probably not the best thing to say, huh? Okay, but that was great. That was great. That's correct. It is only share what you know. And here's the thing. Many people think that, you know, to go and, and talk to someone about Jesus, I got to have, like, the Bible memorized, and I got to know all these verses, and I got to know this. Here's the thing. The best thing that you can do is just share what you know, what you know either in what God has done to you or you know scripture that has impacted you. Don't try to memorize things to then go out and share with people. Just only share what you know. Um, how many of you guys remember uh, in the Bible where Jesus healed this blind man? And then once he was healed, it says in the book of John, that the Pharisees, the religious folk, uh, called him in and said, hey, that's not cool that you were healed. You were blind and now you can see. Isn't it? I mean, is that crazy that a miracle happens in your life and then church folk call you in and yell at you because of the miracle that God did in your life? But, but that's what happened. And then they called him in, you know, they called in his parents too. And that's just crazy right there for some of the church to call your parents because you did some, God did some good stuff in your life. But they called his parents, brought his parents in interviewed them, said, hey, what's going on? And then they, they kicked the parents out and called him back in. And really quick, uh, this is what it says. In the book of John, it says, the second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God, they said, which you would think that's what he was doing. He's running around saying, God just healed me. I can see now. Uh, we know this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. And here's what he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He said, I don't know what you guys believe. I don't know what you guys think. I don't care who you proclaim Jesus is, but here's what I know. I was blind. I can see now. I'm going to the movies now. I'm going to, like, I'm buying a 3D TV. I can see now. He's not trying to share them scripture or here's the truth or here's why your religion doesn't work. He's just saying, here is what I know. Of course, it didn't work because they didn't listen, but... That's what you should do. Just share what you know. So um, we're going to move on to the second one. The first one is only share what you would know. Here's the second one. Only share what you can. Wow. <laughs> only share what you can, uh-oh, would not, <laughs> would not fit. The, the, although it rhymes, um, it's only share what you can show. Yeah, only share what you can show. And here's the best thing. Your transformed life is the best physical, living, live in 3D evidence of what God has done. Now, I can't quote the Bible to you, but I can show you what God has done in my life. I can show you that my marriage is healed. I can show you that my family is healed. I can show you where I couldn't pay bills before and I'm still unemployed, but my bills are getting paid. I can show you 
And I'm not going to debate theology with you. I'm not going to argue with you. But I can show you what God has done in my life. And, and that's, again, that's the simplest, easiest. I'm, even, I'm afraid to go to number three since number two didn't pan out too well. But that's the simplest, easiest way to just talk to somebody about Jesus. First, only share what you know. Here's what I know in my heart. Only share what you can show. I can show you this is what God has done for me. Doesn't matter what, whether or not you believe it doesn't change what God has done for me. And the third one, I'm sweating bullets up here. The third one is, okay, uh, so only share what you know. Only share what you can show. And the third one is don't be afraid to. All right, we should go back to week one. Don't be afraid to go. Don't be afraid to go out. Most people, the number one reason why most people won't share about Jesus is because they're afraid to go and talk about Jesus. They're afraid that, hey, if I go talk about Jesus, I'm going to get kicked out of school. Uh, I'm going to get kicked out of work. Uh, I'm going to get kicked out of the line and grocery store. But here's the reality. If you're only sharing what you know, I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. And you're only sharing what you can show, then there is no reason to be afraid to go because you're sharing what is true for you. This, this is the reality. I, I, I know this for a fact. I can show you this, so I have no fear of telling this to people. Now, um, we're going to grade on a curve and say everyone passed, okay? All right, so now um, when you think about biblically two people, we've been talking about people that kind of were interacted and met Jesus. When you think about two people that were impacted by meeting the resurrected Jesus, uh, the first two biblically that come to mind are Peter and Paul. I mean, these are names that people who don't go to church, they are familiar with the names Peter and Paul. They're familiar with, I don't know what they did, but I know they're some kind of big people in the church. And um, here's what we know about Peter, okay? Peter uh, was one of the apostles. He originally was a fisherman, and I said before, he was like the Joe the plumber of that day. Average working guy. He wasn't a... Uh, uh, a preacher, he wasn't an evangelist, he wasn't a religious person, he was just average blue-collar worker. He was the first disciple, right? Uh, first person who uh, Jesus called to him, and then after being a disciple, he became an apostle or one of the uh, main um, contributors to what we call the, uh, the early church. Uh, he was the only person, only person, not just in the New Testament, not just in the Gospels, only person ever, as far as we know, to walk on water other than Jesus Christ. Which means either, and if you're familiar with the story, you know, they were in a boat. Jesus came walking up. Uh, they were, like, scared. They thought it was a ghost. And they said, if that's you, Jesus, ask me to come out. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, which means one of two things. Either he had faith that, like, surpasses our ability to understand. Because think about it. How many of you would actually get out of the boat and walk on water? It probably wouldn't happen. So he either had faith that's, like, unimaginable or he was just stone cold crazy. He had to be, think about it. If you're on, you know, the duck tour boats and it's kind of like in rough water and it's nighttime. Now, most of the people on those boats at nighttime are drinking. So they may get out and go walking on the water. But think about it. If you're on the boat and you see, I think that's Jesus. And he says, come to me. How many of you would get out of the boat and actually start trying to walk on the water. There are no hands up in the room, right? Because, uh, except for Nick. 
But think about it. He, he, he's either crazy or he had faith and a desire to experience God like none of us could even imagine. He was also uh, the first to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Remember when Jesus asked who the people say they am, and people said, you're this, people said, you're that, you're a prophet, you're this. He said, no, you are the Messiah, which was the term, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you're not just a good speaker. You're not just a, a, a preacher. You're not just a teacher. You are God in the flesh. He was the first person to acknowledge that. And although he denied Jesus, uh, he was the first apostle, not the first person, but the first apostle to witness the resurrected Jesus. Now, um, we've been going through this verse over and over again, but let me read it for you real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For what I received, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth about this whole resurrection. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So even though he denied Christ, Christ appeared to him. He was the first apostle, uh, not the first person, but the first apostle to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. He was also the first one to preach a sermon in the New Testament. If you look in the book of Acts, um, it says that uh, in the book of Acts chapter 2, then Peter stood up with the 11. This is after the Holy Spirit came down on all of them, and they're all spirit-filled, and they're in the midst of this religious event. Thousands of people had come into the city for a religious event, seeking God, what they thought was God. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He begins to explain biblical events to them. And he says, listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to tie Old Testament theology which most of them were familiar with, with here's what you were experiencing, this supernatural event that you're experiencing today because they were all spirit-filled and started speaking in languages that were not common to them but were common to people that were coming from like uh, Germany or Russia or Africa or the Middle East or West Virginia, whatever. But all of these people that had come to this place and they're all speaking in their language and he says this event, this supernatural thing that you're experiencing is tied to this scriptural thing, and he brought them together and preached to them about God. Now, Peter was so instrumental in the early church that if you read through the book of Acts, that's called the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, if you read through it, the first 11 chapters talk mainly about Peter, what God did through him, what the Holy Spirit did through him, people he interacted with in his day-to-day and how he was sharing the gospel with them and how he reacted to certain situations uh, and things that God brought him out of. And the thing is, we often think that, you know what, I have done so much bad in my life that God could never use me to talk to people about God. Or we think, I can never do enough good in my life for God to use me to talk to people about God. But yet God used Peter, and let me, let me ask you this question, uh, because Peter had some bad stuff. Anybody here cut off anyone's ear lately? Don't raise your hand if you did. But, um, but that's what Peter had done. He cut off somebody's ear. Anyone here, and, and this is, anyone here deny Christ recently, or better yet, anyone here deny Christ while cursing out a little girl recently? Because that's what Peter did 
when a little girl came up and said, hey, weren't you one of those? This is while they were, you know, trying and beating Jesus Christ. A little girl came up and said, hey, you were one of those Christians too. Weren't you with him? He literally cursed her out and denied, I don't even know the man. And yet God used him in a huge monumental way to impact the lives of others. All right. Now, here's the reality. This is the truth. Uh, uh, If you know anything, anything about what God has done in your life, and no one knows that better than you, then you can tell other people about God. It's that simple. If you know God, you can tell others. Say this with me. If you know God, you can tell others. One more time, like all in unison. If you know God, you can tell others. It's that simple. You don't have to take a class to do it. You don't have to, like, memorize the Bible to do it. If you know God, you can tell other people about God. Now, Paul, his story is a little different. Um, Paul thought of, of himself as what he terms as one abnormally born. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he writes, after that, um, after the conversation we just read that he was having with the church in Corinth. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says that, yeah, Jesus Christ, resurrected Jesus Christ, he appeared to all these people, appeared to the 500, then he showed up on my doorstep. And he refers to himself as one who is abnormally born because he used to persecute the church. He used to knock on church doors. If you heard a bang at the door, you opened it up, Paul would show up and he'd drag people out and throw them in jail because they were doing what we're doing. Talking about Jesus Christ as Lord and as God and celebrating and rejoicing in that. And then Jesus showed up Uh, took all of what Paul was thinking, said tweaked it a little bit. He said, your theology is almost there, but you're missing one thing, and that's me. And then Paul went out and became a pivotal uh, person in the gospel. Now, uh, if you open your Bible to the book of Galatians, we're going to look at what Paul says about himself. We're going to look at Paul talking uh, to... um, the churches in this area called Galatia, and what he's communicating about his ability to share the gospel with other people. So um, we're going to actually start in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to walk all the way through uh, this whole chapter quickly uh, and hit all of the premier points that Paul says about himself. Uh, But for the sake of time, I'm going to put the verses up here. So if you want to follow along, uh, I'm going to put them up here and read them up here on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, because I want you to see that I'm not making this stuff up, this is what Paul says about himself and that it's all true. So um, starting in Galatians chapter 1, he writes, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. And he starts off by telling that, he makes clear that he says, this approach, me coming to you, it's not just me coming to you to share on my own. He says, I'm sharing with you. I'm coming in the name of God. I'm coming in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm coming on behalf of the churches. He says, all the brothers, meaning all the brothers in Christ, uh, we're all coming together. The message I'm about to give you, we all came together on and agreed upon. 
This is the unity of the church that we don't see today. Today we see churches splitting, we see churches leaving, we see all that kind of stuff. But there it was, hey, we're, we've, you guys want to hear what's going on in the church? Here, we're all getting together and we as a unit, unified body are sending this information uh, to you. All right, so drop uh, down to verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. And if you read any of the letters Paul wrote, whenever he addressed the churches, he always gives glory to God. He does two things really well. He always gives glory to God. He talks about uh, situations where he was hurting, but he gives glory to God. He talks about situations where he was doing just okay, he gives glory to God. He talks about situations where he was doing great, and he gives glory to God. That is a message that we as individuals and as the church body can really, we really need to hold on to. Because we've all had situations where we've been hurting, but we still need to give glory to God. We all have situations when we get on the other side of the scale where we're doing good financially, we're doing good relationally, we're doing good at work and in school. And in those situations, in those times, we need to give glory to God. The other thing that he does extremely well, and I, I, I just... I think this is awesome. He's just a master at it, is that almost every time he talks, he squeezes in the gospel. He says, um, from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. This is in his hello. He says, I'm coming to you in the name of God who died for our sins. And every time you read one of his letters, you'll see he's working in his gospel message so that people know it's a simple message. And some of us, sometimes when we're talking to people about Jesus Christ, you ever been like, I don't know how to word it so that I can tell you the gospel and you get confused on what to say and what do you say first. And as we read in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, he points out some very simple things. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised. And he appeared to people. I mean, that's it. That's the heart of the message. Christ died. He was buried. He was raised, and then he appeared to people. Christ died, he was buried, he was raised, and then he appeared to people. That is all you need to tell someone, and they're likely going to say, why is that important? What makes that the gospel? Because that's the first thing that I ask. And the answer is because he did it for you. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and then he appeared to people, and he did it for you. He died for us. He was buried. He had to be risen again, and he did that for us, and he appeared to people so that we would know that it's true. And that's the simplest way to communicate the gospel to someone. Drop down to verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And he's telling again, he is sharing, he is sharing, here is what I know. You don't have to believe me. Uh, no, I didn't learn this in school. I'm not quoting to you what the pre preacher said. I'm not just reading you a verse I memorized. I'm telling you what I know. God put this on my heart. What I am about to share with you is what God put on. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe it came from God, but I'm telling you what I know. That's what he does. He just shares, here is what I know. And that's all we need to go out and do. Drop down to verse 13. Verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, 
how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And um, again, now here, this is him saying, here is what I can show you. I can show you my transformed life. And many of them knew it's true. They knew that he was the guy who used to go into churches and pull people out and throw them in jail. Lots of people were afraid of him. And now he's writing them a letter saying, hey, I can show you my transformed life. You can't deny. You may not believe there's a God. You may not believe in Jesus. But you can't deny that my life has changed. You can't take that away from me. And there's many of us who if we go to people that we used to hang out with before we knew God, we could tell them, hey, you know what? My life has changed, and it's because of God. And many of them would know that because some of us were pretty messed up, and our friends knew it. And they can look and see a difference now. And when I talk to some of the friends that I used to have, um, This is how bad it was because some of the friends I used to have before I was a Christian, they weren't Christians either, but they would look at me and be like, Floyd, you need Jesus. Non-Christian folk looking at me and say, you need to get right with God because something is wrong with you. And they knew how messed up I was. And they could look as they know me on this side of my relationship with God and say, yeah, I, I don't know if it's God, I don't know whatever, but they cannot deny Something has changed. And the people that you interact with cannot deny that something in your life has changed because you are just telling them what you can show, your transformed life. So drop down to verse 15. He says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Now, uh, what he is saying is basically he's trying to make sure they understand, hey, this was not my intention. I didn't intend to go along this path in life. This was a God thing, and it was God's plan from the beginning, from the day that I was born, from my birth. God looked and said, you know what, I've got to do something with that guy named Paul. Now, the reality is he goes in and he tells, um, when he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, for he, meaning God chose us in him before the creation of the world, not just from birth, but before the world was created, that God had chosen him. And he actually, if you think about it, and I, I, I've said this before, if you think about it, if this is the beginning of time and this is the end of time, and, and because we're somewhere in the timeline of time, I'm not trying to geek anybody out, but if this is the beginning of time and this is the end of time, God sits outside of time. He's not bound by the linear progression of time. Seconds and minutes are not passing for God right now. But God sits outside of the beginning and end of time. And he looked down through time and said, see that, Paul? Before all this started, he knew, Paul, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. And this is what I'm going to do with you. And that's the true, the same thing for us. Before time started, God knew uh, what he was going to do with us. Now, uh, drop down to, um, I think we're on verse 18. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And we talked about that last week, how James, who originally denied God, uh, who originally criticized God, who originally verbally rejected him and said, you're crazy, Jesus. Once Jesus appeared to him, he became a pillar in a New Testament church. And here uh, Paul says, I didn't see any of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And he says, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then he says, later I went to Syria and then uh, Cilicia, if I'm pronouncing that right. And what he's telling them um, is, and, and most theologians agree that during that three-year time period that he mentioned, is he took some time and he stepped back. And he said, I need, to, I need to figure out what's going on in my life. And so he took some time and he went uh, to study and, and to figure out because he was um, what we would call a professor of the Old Testament. He learned it from the best. He would be the one who would be quoting Old Testament scripture to you. But he was applying it incorrectly. And so Jesus stepped in, appeared to him. He had what we call one of those um, blinded by the light experiences where he was literally blinded by the light as God showed up in his life and said, hey, all this points to me. And so he went back and said, if this is true, I need to go study it. And he spent some time uh, studying it. And then uh, he comes back and he starts impacting the churches. And then 21, he says, later I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. And here's the reality. This is why this is so important. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as the band comes up, um, this is why this is so important. Because there are literally, literally people that we know in our circles of influence that could be praising God instead of going down the path that they're going right now. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking with, um, you know, some of the youth at our Tuesday night Bible study. And uh, in, in their generation, there are youth today that have things going on in their lives. And you, you can turn on the news, you can look on Facebook or wherever, that are driving them to literally take their own lives. Because they're hurting and they're feeling alone and they're feeling rejected. And that could change if we reached out to the ones in our circle of influence and just let them know that there is a God who loves you. And instead of taking their own life, they could be praising God for their life if we were willing to just go out and again, just just share with them what we know. Share with them, here's what we can show you. Here's what I can show you that God has done in my life and not be afraid to go. There are coworkers that we have that are struggling with, with, with uh, uh, their marriages uh, that are in like violent relationships that are struggling uh, financially, that are struggling trying to understand and uh, uh, enhance the relationships with their children, that are struggling medically. There are people all in our circle of influence. I'm not talking about, you know, overseas. I'm not talking about in another state. I'm talking about in our school, in our workplaces. 
And some even in our homes, under our own roofs, people that are struggling and desperately need to know that there is a God who loves them. And if we would, the message that the church generally gives is not you got to get right with God, it's you got to come to church. That's what we start with. That's usually our leadoff. You got to come to church. And then from there, we, we start, somehow we go from you got to come to church into this list of commandments that thou must obeyest to beest a partist of myest church. Instead of just, hey, I just want to show you what God has done in my life. I want to share that with you and let you know that he could do the same in yours. And let God do the rest. He is fully capable of bringing people into this building. Now, if we have people that we want to invite to church, great, do it, invite them. But when you're sharing about Jesus, it's about Jesus. It's not about this building. Those should be two separate things. I mean, don't be afraid to invite people to, you know, come worship with you. That's great. But that shouldn't be a predominant part of the conversation of sharing, here is what God has done in my life and here's what he can do in yours. And just picture, if we did that, if we did that alone, not just in this building, but in churches, instead of people talking about the fact that in the next 10 years, 60% of the existing local congregations will close, we'd be having conversations that say in the next three to five years, 100% of local congregations will double and triple in size as people come to lift up and exalt the glory of God. Because that's what it's all about. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and as you do, let me share this with you quickly. Um, I think last week or the week before, I asked you to write down the name of someone, not that you want to invite to church, but that you want God to put on your heart and uh, create an opportunity for you to go and share, just share about Jesus with them. And I'm going to ask you now, as we enter into this time of just singing and worshiping God in song, that you would bring that person to mind and just picture them here with you, just exalting the glory of God.